RPC Radio. Radio. Hello, you're listening to Insurance Covered. Welcome to the podcast that covers anything and everything to do with insurance. Coming up in this episode. I'd met a chap called David Howden back in 1998 in, of all places, Mumbai. We had far too much to drink, stayed in touch for years. And then he said to me in the beginning of 2012, uh, no, 2011, sorry, we are going to be going places at Howden Group, but I need you to come in and be general counsel. My name is Peter Mansfield. I'm a partner of the law firm RPC, and in each episode, I'm joined by a guest, and we discuss an aspect of the wonderful world of insurance. And this week, we have Will Bloomer, and we will be learning about the role of the in-house lawyer. Uh, Will trained and qualified as a solicitor in the early 1990s, spending time in both Hong Kong and London, but moved to take up an in-house legal role with Heath Lambert for approximately 12 years. And then in 2012, will move to what is now known as Howden Group, where he was corporate and legal director, then group general counsel, and is now the chief corporate and legal affairs officer. So there is no one better to discuss the role played by the in-house lawyer, which is what we're going to discuss today. So, Will, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Peter. I'm very glad to be here. Thank you. Well, it's lovely to have you, Will. And uh, first of all, kind of uh, before we get to your, your role as an in-house lawyer, let's talk about your, your role as an insurance lawyer. How did you end up as an insurance lawyer? I'd never heard of the word lawyer before about 16, and certainly not insurance. I remember back in the day, in uh, I was at university, I applied to various law firms. One of them was the esteemed organisation of Cameron Mark B. Hewitt, CMH, I ended up uh, in an interview. I got a job there. I walked in in September 1992 and got plonked as a trainee solicitor. The office I walked into was, as I recall, three offices down from yours, Peter. And frankly, I spent six months in that team, had a great time, loved the people, loved the clients, loved the work, and then spent most of my two years as a trainee I managed to swing it. I ended up doing about 14 months of the two years in an insurance-related seat, qualified into insurance in 1994, and then got asked to go and help set up an insurance practice in Hong Kong. And then out of the blue, I got asked if I would like to be general counsel at a firm of insurance brokers then called Lambert Fenchurch, which had just merged with Heath to form Heath Lambert. So I fell into it. Um, Still love the people. Still love the market. Uh, it's just great fun. I suppose at this point we should point out to anyone who doesn't know that in, in, in legal jargon, uh, a lawyer who works for a law firm is, is known as a private practice lawyer, uh, whereas a lawyer who acts for a company is an in-house lawyer. So but, but what was it that, you know, the, the opportunity arose, but what was it that attracted you to an in-house role? I think what really did it for me more than anything was When I started as a trainee and then when I qualified, I was really keen not to be doing just the job that was put in front of me. I didn't want to be pigeonholed into being an insurance defense lawyer, defending brokers, accountants, surveyors. I wanted to do more than that. And I knew then that I can't be doing that for 40 years. So it was more that if there's one word that stands out for me, it's the variety. 
So could, could you give us a, you know, the, the highlights of, of your 20 odd year career as general counsel? Well, I joined Heath Lambert, as I said, in January 2000. And then at that stage, that company was the seventh largest insurance broker in the world. So it's a big organisation. I was only 30 and I was many a time I used to think I'm, I'm going to I'm going to sink in this. I'm going to drown in it. But um, what I noticed more than anything is the people I worked for were very grateful for the work that I was doing. And I think that was probably the people more than the standard of work. But I, um, I, got, I, got, I got to know very quickly that um, I just had to rely upon my instincts and therefore I sort of turned myself into a corporate lawyer, a commercial lawyer, insolvency work, property work. And then we had a, quite a difficult period in the mid-2000s where the company uh, had failed to IPO to go public in 2002. People were leaving the company in droves and we had three defined benefit pension schemes which were underwater and would, if they had been left to their own devices, have dragged the company under. So we were one of the very first organisations in the UK to use the Pension Protection Fund. Sort of 2000s jobs will be protected rather than lost. So I learned at that time that your instinctive, and I keep repeating it, but your instinctive feeling of what's right and what's wrong is what's going to lead you. And I learned so much in what was a dramatic period of time. We restructured the company and it sort of became a smaller, more retail-focused organisation. And then we got to a stage where we sold Heath Lambert to Gallagher's in 2011. And I stuck around at Gallagher's for a while, but I'd met a chap called David Howden back in 1998 in, of all places, uh, Mumbai, where he was giving a DNO insurance seminar from a sort of London market perspective. And I was working in Hong Kong at the time, and I did the sort of legal aspects of a DNO policy at the same seminar. We had far too much to drink, stayed in touch for years. And then he said to me in the beginning of 2012, uh, no, 2011, sorry, we are going to be going places at Howden Group, and I need you to come in and be general counsel. I said, no, uh, I've done the insurance broker work for 12 years. I'm not sure I want to do it anymore. And he said, well, you'll come back with your tail between your legs in about three months time. And I did, of course. And said, is that job still there? He said, yes, it is. And then I've been here now for nearly 10 years and built a legal team here in the UK and all around the world because we're a global company. And if I try and compare what I could have stuck at was carry on being an insurance lawyer in Cameron Mark Hewitt, Cameron McKenna, and being a partner in that firm if I'd have been successful at that. I, I don't think I'd seen the variety and had the spice that I've seen in my own career. It's, you know, I look back on it very, very fondly. And, I, you know, every day I wake up and think, you've been a very lucky so-and-so. And um, before we start talking about, you know, the, the legal role within an insurance-related business, um, tell us a little bit more about, Howden Group, you've already given us a little introduction and you've mentioned uh, David Howden, but and then most people listening to this will have some links to insurance and will have some sense of what Howden Group is, but it, it's, it's such a fast-moving organisation. And uh, the, the, do you want to give us a, a quick summary of the business and, and where it sits, it sits alongside other brokers and insurers? Yeah, we're, 
we are now uh, quite a big insurance intermediary business, an emphasis on the word intermediary. Howden Group has Howden Broking, which is a classic insurance broker, but we house within that a brand called A-Plan, which is a personal lines. And what I mean by that is your home insurance, your car insurance, and insurance is for very small SME businesses, all the way up to humongous reinsurance treaty programs for Munich Re, Hiscox, and what have you. So we do the whole gamut of insurance broking, all the way from smallest to largest. Where we're a bit different to most insurance intermediary groups as well, we've got a very nice balance to our group because on the other end of the scale, we've got an MGA, a managing general agency called Dual. I'll come back to why we're called Dual. Don't let me forget because there's a great story as to why it's called Dual. But Dual is an MGA, so it acts on behalf of insurers, capacity providers, carriers, and it does the underwriting work for an insurer. And running through all of it, we've got a business that we started in 2019 called Howden X, which is our sort of digital data analytics business, which we've got in there as well, a company called Howden Capital Markets that does sort of uh, sophisticated ILS and capital advisory work. So we do the whole gamut of insurance. It started, it's a very young company still, started in 1994 with literally three friends and a dog. Three of the friends was David Howden, who's still the CEO, the founder of the business, and still massively, he is the business in some respects. Uh, a friend of his called Louise Cable-Alexander, and a chap called Mark Pangborn, and a dog, because David had come into the office and the dog couldn't stay at home on its own, so there had to be room for the dog. I joined in 2012. We were just nudging 1,000 employees then. Nearly 10 years later, we're just nudging 10,000 employees. So uh, in my time, the business has gone from a revenue business of about 100 million to a billion pounds. And profit has gone from, I can't remember what it was, but it's now about 350 million of profit. So it's a big company, but with a small company mentality, as in we've still got friendship and trust. We're a very devolved business. David doesn't run it on a day-to-day -day basis. He lets people get on with it. And so we're not a textbook company by any stretch of the imagination. And why is Jewel called Jewel? Well, when we bought a company called RK Harrison in 2015, they had a very small MGA called Aqueduct Underwriting Agencies. And Aqueduct, as you know, is a bridge of water. And the chief executive of RK Harrison at the time was a chap called Paul Bridgewater. So he took the name Bridgewater and took it to Aqueduct. David Howden said to me, well, that's great, isn't it? Why haven't we got something as cool as, as a name of that? And to which I said, well, we have. We've got Dave Underwriting Agencies Limited, Dual. And it doesn't actually stand for Dave Underwriting Agencies. It's actually, and you'll probably remember this, the D is Dyer, as in Brian Dyer. And he gave the first delegated authority to what was then Howden, and they rebadged it as Dual Dyer Underwriting Agencies Limited. It's not Dyer as in, oh my God, that's Dyer, but as in Brian Dyer Underwriting Agencies Limited. 
Yeah, yeah, the syndicate as well, didn't he? From recollection, he did. Yeah, he was old four eight four syndicate, and he yeah. did the uh, broker's line slip. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's where I've heard of him from. Yeah, yeah, uh, Steve Booker, you might remember. That's right. Yeah, very much so. Very much yeah. so. Anyway, sorry. This better get back on track. Will better. Yes. Um, so uh, a few details. Um, how big is the legal team at Howden now? Well, it's funny because I, uh, I thought that you would ask me that question. and I, I, I thought we were about seven, seven or so people in the UK, but we're actually 10. So including my, my PA, who's PA to the team, we've got 10 people in the UK and then another 17 lawyers around the world. So we've got three in the US, one in our relatively new operation in Australia on the broking side, but five in Jewel in Australia, one in Turkey, Middle East and Africa, two in Germany, three in Spain, but also covering Latin America, one head in Europe, and then one in Greece. So, so we're 27 strong across the world. Most of the legal teams are what you call commercial lawyers, and they will turn their hand to disputes and contentious and non-contentious work. But they're all essentially steeped to some extent or another in insurance rather than just being lawyers, for want of a better phrase. So we do pride ourselves on being in more than an adjunct to the business, but actually being a physical part of the business. But it's down to the individuals to build those relationships and not be seen as, quotes, the legal department sitting in an ivory tower over there. In a nutshell, what would you say were, were the key elements of the role of general counsel or in-house lawyer or the legal team as a whole? Well, you start with, you know, what does general counsel mean? Essentially, the clues in the title, because you are general advisor. So your problem solver, your handholder, you're into the detail of a big dispute. Brokers, as you know, Peter, can get themselves caught up in disputes because they're a classic middleman. So somebody's going to have a go at the broker at some point. We have to help sort out those problems if they occur. We have commercial issues such as we want to buy X. So we'll get involved in that. We'll instruct external advisors to help us on specialist problems or, frankly, where they're better resourced and staffed than we are. So on any given day, I mean, look at today. We have just undertaken out the biggest acquisition the group's ever done. We bought the Aston Lark group of companies for humongous amounts of money. And I am in the midst of overseeing applications to regulators in the UK, Ireland and Guernsey for changing control approval for that acquisition. Now, at the same token, just this morning, I've been involved in helping set up an equity share incentive scheme for one of the business units. So, again, back to that variety it's, it's anything that beyond touching the law piece, it's sort of, as I said before, it's problem solving and helping the business through issues that it faces, good, bad or indifferent issues. So it's being able to stretch yourself across a number of different fields. And I, I think that you've just got to be ready to, to take whatever could get thrown at your desk sort of thing. So it's problem solving in reality. Yeah. So do you do a lot of the, the front work with regulators as well? So whenever regulators, I don't know, come in and check you out or, or have questions that you need to, that you're the people who deal with that, are you? 
Yeah, I mean, it, because the company's grown relatively quickly over the last decade, when I first joined, I'd done compliance and risk when I used to work at Heath. So we've got separate compliance units and we don't have a legal and compliance unit. The compliance units are very much in the business units because they have to be in those business units. But the compliance departments can come for us for advice. I sort of know my way around most of the regulatory environment in the UK, for example, but I, I hold the main relationship with the FCA. We're not a fixed regulated firm. We're flexibly regulated, so we don't have one person who looks after us. But if we have to make applications for changes in control when we buy things, I will front that. If they want to make a thematic review, which they do occasionally, it'll probably pop into my area first and then I'll farm it out within the business to sort that out. And for example, when Aon was seeking to buy Willis and when Marsh bought JLT, there were various regulatory reviews undertaken by the competition authorities in Europe. And they would come to me as a first port of call because they see the title general council, they know what that is, they've heard of it before. So that'll come into my area. So regulation is something I never thought I'd get. I don't think regulatory work actually existed when I joined Barbie Hewitt in the 90s, but it is very much on the horizon now. And that's another reason, you know, you've got to be, to be an in-house lawyer, you've got to be curious and you've got to see what's going on around you and beyond around you as well. And would you say that the role was was transferable? I mean, you pointed out that most of the people in in the team are insurance lawyers, um, but you know, could you be lifted out and kind of put into another type of business? I don't know, a manufacturer of, of, of widgets. That always seems to be the traditional one, isn't it? Um, or, or, or is there something unique about being a lawyer in an insurance business? I think without getting too insular about it, because, you know, you do have a tendency to think that, uh, think inwardly is, uh, and I see general councils moving from, I don't know, Royal Mail to EasyJet, et cetera. And I, I seriously doubt that I could do that. I don't think I've got a set of transferable skills where I could take what I do and what I've learned and what I've experienced into a different industry. And I'd go so far as to say, I, I think I'd struggle to do what I do in an insurer rather than an intermediary because they are very, very different beasts. So I don't think I could transfer my skills into a different industry. And I, I think, I mean, I've just recruited a group general counsel and I purposefully went out to find someone who had experience in insurance. We speak in a different language in insurance and there are nuances and things that hopefully these podcasts will open up and explore that world a bit further. But we speak a different language, as I say. So I don't think it is transferable. I might be wrong, but I, I don't think it is. And your new role, as we've mentioned, is, is uh, Chief Corporate and Legal Affairs Officer. Uh, what, does, what, does that, what does that role involve? Well, you know, as I said, Director of Football is not a bad analogy. I mean, one of the things is David Howard sat down with me about 12 months ago and said, uh, it's my own fault in reality is that you're too much in the detail, Will. You can't carry on being that detailed and be help to me. So I'm trying and I've moved upstairs, for want of a better phrase, to become more of a support on a day-to-day basis to David. He's a very effervescent and overly enthusiastic optimist who 
you can't say no to. So he needs that kind of sweeping and support and help and advisory and all that. So I do much more of that than I did. We're massively into ESG, and I know everybody says they're massively into ESG. David, by the time this recording comes out, will have given the opening presentation for the insurance part of COP26, which is taking part in a few days' time from now. We've got a volcano catastrophe product, which releases funds in the event of a volcano to local humanitarian entities to help with that. We've done a carbon offset insurance policy for clients. And so David used to say that we insurance was the oil in the engine, but he now says we're the battery in the Tesla rather than the oil in the engine. And I think that's true. Insurance can be a force for good rather than, you know, something that everybody has a go at because it doesn't pay BI insurance claims in the back of COVID. But people are forgetting that the insurance industry has paid over a billion pounds out for COVID-related claims. And so insurance isn't something, and it it hides its light under a bushel quite badly as far as I'm concerned. It, It can be and should be a force for good. So it's that policy. I wouldn't say strategy because that's too sophisticated a word for me, but it's that what sort of areas are we looking for the company to be involved in to make a difference, which sort of goes back to what's in our culture in the company of trying to be better at what we do, servicing clients. But it's more what the company's biggest thing is, is putting its people first, because we think if we have happy people with good work, well remunerated, that they're just going to do good things for clients, etc. So it's taking that and taking it a stage further in reality. Along those lines, I came across, in my research, I came across a quotation from, from David Howden, where he says, maintaining culture is the single most important thing we do. The culture is real and we believe in it. Is that, that's lived out then by the sounds of it? It's, it's yeah. not just words, that, that is action. No, it's not just words. I mean, his biggest fear, and he says to me on a regular basis, the biggest risk to the business is as we grow, is we lose our culture. And it's quite hard to put your finger on what the culture is. I've said to David on many occasions, there's some kind of secret source within the Howden group. And probably it's a good thing you can't put your finger on saying what it is, but it is looking out for each other, putting people first. Aston Lark, for example, chose to come here because they saw it as their, their words, not mine, their forever home. They didn't want to go on a flip of every four years of being majority owned by yet another private equity investor. We are the investor and they become, it sounds a very trite thing to say, but we are a family and they've they've joined that family. And so I think that culture is, is far more important than strategy. And as long as we maintain our culture, I think we've got a fighting chance of being a success. And uh, talking of that, I'm going to ask you a question which I hadn't prepared you for, but uh, um, so I'll give you a little time to think about it if you want. But 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 what in your role as a, a lawyer within all the businesses that you've been involved with, but within the insurance world, what would you say was your proudest achievement? The thing that that, that really you say actually, you know, that is something I am exceptionally proud of. But not only that, but it's something which I would never in a million years have seen as a private practice lawyer. That is a good question. Um, 
I think I've got quite a few proud moments, but I think one of the one of the nicest things that happened was that only very recently we we did an acquisition in the US and we bought a company called Align. And uh, the chief executive of that chap called Kieran Sweeney, who used to work in Willis in London years and years ago, wrote me a note and said, thank you for all your help in getting this home. Uh, I shook hands on a deal with David. And then I said to myself, and this is him speaking, that we'll see whether or not you can say or do through the process that which we shook hands on. And he said, we, we were never let down. And he said to me, and it sounds like I'm blowing smoke at my own, whatever. But he said, you know, you've got a very special set of skills that not many people have got. And I thought to myself, well, I had to sit there and think, and what is it? But I think it's the ability to allow people to do what they need to do and to cajole people to get to a fixed point in time and to a fixed point where things happen. And so I think that's just one thing that I'm proudest of is the ability to, to get things done in a relatively commercial way. You know, as I said right at the very beginning, private practice has always been one of those things where you're pigeonholed into one small area and you can't become a good advisor to people if you're just doing one small thing. The in-house life seems to have treated you extraordinarily well. Um, I, I presume you'd recommend it. Absolutely. I think um, you've got to do both sides of the fence, though. I think you've got to start in a proper law firm doing proper legal work to get your grounding, to get your experience. But uh, I'll be frank, I, I joined Heath Lambert in January 2000, and I knew within days that I wasn't going back to private practice. And if only because I don't have to do a timesheet. And so any, if you don't have to do a timesheet, that's just a joy in itself. Finally, well, kind of uh, a final question. Uh, based on your experience, um, what bit of advice would you give to a young lawyer who might be contemplating insurance a- as a career? Well, my, my children will laugh at me and berate me for saying this, but I read a book oh, 10, 15 years ago called The Second Coming by a chap called John Niven. It's a bit rude in places, but there was one mantra that he said, and I remember reading at the time, and it just makes sense. And so in answer to your question, it's sort of the question slightly broader in my head in terms of advice to anybody in their early days of their career are in no particular order to work hard, play hard, and be nice. And I think if you can do those three at varying times, then you'll probably be successful, but more importantly, you'll be quite happy. And so that's really my advice. Brilliant. Well, that was absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. No, I've enjoyed it immensely. Thank you, Peter. RPC Radio. Radio. Thank you so much for listening to Insurance Covered. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and please rate, review and share it. It really does help. Please also listen to another of our podcasts, Taxing Matters, which is hosted by my brilliant colleague, Alice Kemp. Insurance Covered is an RPC production made possible by Joe Burgess and Mary Mitchell. If you want to be a guest on Insurance Covered, please email me 
at peter.mansfield at rpc.co.uk. Thank you and I hope you have a lovely day.